Amen. That was good singing. Going to turn together in God's Word this evening to the Gospel of John and to the eighth chapter. The Gospel of John and to the chapter eight. We're moving down the eighth chapter of John's Gospel to take up our reading at the twelfth verse. John chapter 8 and the verse 12, and reading down a section of this chapter together. Let us hear God's word. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury, as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself, because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come? And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, The Father hath not left me alone, 
for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Amen. And we trust that the Lord will add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. I'll just ask you please to turn once again to John chapter 8. And with God's word open before us, we'll pray and we'll seek his blessing upon the preaching of his precious word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to thee now seeking thy face, Lord, and desiring thy blessing upon the preaching of thy word now. Lord, may thy word be preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. May it be preached to the glory of God. I pray, Father, that the Lord Jesus Christ will be clearly and simply presented before each and every person in this service tonight. And that, Lord, thou wilt speak through thy word. And very especially, Lord, that thou wilt draw sinners to thyself through the preaching of the message of the gospel. We thank thee for the ordained means. But we confess, O oh Father, that we are just men at best. We have no power in and of ourselves. Therefore, we pray for the power of God, not just in the preaching, but in the hearts of men and women now. For we pray in our Savior's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 8 outlines how the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and the religious leaders of his day had reached a low point. Now, from chapter 5 through to chapter 8, we have witnessed what we could only really describe as a slow deterioration of the relationship between the Jewish religious leaders and the Savior. But as we reach John chapter 8 and the verses 12 to 30, we are confronted with circumstances which show that these religious leaders now sink to a new low concerning their attempts to discredit Christ. They now begin to mock him. They now begin to speak to him in an even more demeaning way than they had done so before. And this is really highlighted by the fact that they asked three questions to the Savior, the first of which is in verse 19, when they ask him, where is thy father? The second is in verse 22, when they ask, will he kill himself? And the third is in verse 25, when they ask him, who art thou? Now these questions, they are not sincere. They are not inquisitive in nature. They are actually asked with the intent of insulting Christ. Because these men, they have tried to catch him out time and time again to no avail. And now that you could, I suppose you could say that they have lost the argument. So what do they do when they lose the argument? They very simply try to insult Christ. And this is very often the case in life. When people can't get the better of you, when they lose an argument against you, or when they attempt to catch you out to no avail, what do they do? They just result to insulting you. And this is what is happening in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in some, you could say by their response to his claims, they are showing that they are very simply rejecters of the Messiah. They have rejected their Savior, but the Lord doesn't allow their hyenas conduct to go unchecked. He answers their questions, and in answering the questions, He shows these men what the fruits of their spiritual darkness are and what the fruits of their spiritual darkness will be. 
And we want to look at this in a little more detail this evening. And it's with these thoughts in mind and primarily Christ's answers to these three questions in mind that I want you to consider this topic with me of the fruits of Christ's rejection, the fruits of Christ's rejection. I want you to see firstly with me that it results in a reprobate mind. Look at verse 19 and the first question they asked the Savior. They asked him, where is thy father? Now this question is a response to a statement that the Savior made in verse 18, that the father bears witness to his claims. And they are not, as I said before, asking this question because they are merely being inquisitive. They are asking this question really to mock him. And there is evidence in the Scriptures to suggest that these men believed that Christ was an illegitimate child who was conceived outside of marriage. If you look at verse 41 of the same chapter, uh, when Christ tells them that they do the deeds of their father, the devil, they respond to him saying, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. So what are they really doing? They are highlighting the fact that they believe that Joseph was his father, that they saw Joseph as a fornicator, that they saw Christ as an illegitimate child. So what were they doing? They were saying, go and get your father. He's a sinner. He's a fornicator. He is a carpenter. He has no credible witness to your claims. But regardless of their intent, the Lord responds to them. In the second half of verse 19, it says there, Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my Father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. In other words, the Savior is saying to these men, You have much learning and you have much knowledge in religious matters, yet you still don't know God. You know nothing about God. Because if these men had known God, they wouldn't ask such questions. And they wouldn't ask such demeaning questions at that. And it highlights the fact that these men dwell in such severe spiritual darkness. And this is what the Lord is speaking about in the first chapter of Romans, when we are told that God gave certain men over to reprobate minds. Romans 1 and 28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. Now the Apostle Paul, he makes it clear in Romans 1 and 20 that all men have some sort of knowledge of God because we have creation to bear witness to the power and to the existence of God. But what does man do? Man suppresses that knowledge. Man rejects that knowledge. Man refuses to believe that God is the Creator. He refuses to believe the witness that is, very, that is before him on a daily basis. A man tries to banish this from their minds. And we can see the fruits of this today with people claiming that they are atheists and believing in the theory of evolution for the existence of humanity and the Big Bang theory for the existence of the world. And when it comes to the issue of Christ as Savior, when it comes to the issue of salvation through Christ alone, men do this also. Because God has revealed to us in the Scriptures that we are sinners. 
He has revealed to us that Christ has died for sinners on the cross. He has revealed to us that Christ is the only Savior. And he confronts men and women with this need on a regular basis. And what do they do? Well, they don't like to be pricked in their conscience. So they do everything that they can to banish this knowledge from their minds. I suppose you could say they try to put it to the back of their mind. And honestly, friend, I want to ask you tonight, is this what you do? Every time you hear the message of the gospel, every time you hear the message of salvation through Christ alone, you don't want to think about it. You try to put it to the back of your mind. You try to forget about it. You try to convince yourself uh, that you will get saved at a more convenient time. If this is your attitude tonight, if this is your mindset tonight, then you are on very dangerous ground. And the first chapter of Romans, which we have already alluded to, warns us of what this dangerous ground is, because it tells us what God does to those who do not retain knowledge of Him and who reject Him. And this includes continual rejection of Christ as Savior. Verse 28 says that God gave them over. He gave them over. The sense of what this means in the original language is this, that because men have rejected God, because men have abandoned God, then God has abandoned them, and God has rejected them. God has rejected them. Now this idea of being given over occurs three times in Romans chapter 1. The first is in verse 24, and it says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the loss of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. This, refer, this refers to a certain type of immorality. The second is in verse 26. It says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. This refers to a certain type of, perver of perversion. And the third occurs in verse 28, which we have already read. And verse 28 is a sobering verse in Romans chapter 1, because it outlines the fact that God completely abandons people and leaves them to dwell in their corruption. And this is a terrible fate, to be completely given over to a corrupt mind due to rejecting the truth of God, due to rejecting the gospel. And once you find yourself in this possession, once you find yourself given over you have lost any opportunity to find peace with God. You are abandoned by God to dwell in your sin and your misery for time and for eternity. Now, is that not an awful fate for an individual to dwell in? I believe there are many in our country, I believe that there are many around the world who are in this condition. They will attend gospel meetings time and time again, they will attend them from now to the very end of their life, perhaps, and they will never be bothered once because they have been given over. They have rejected God so many times. They have rejected Christ so many times that Christ has, I suppose you could say, left them to dwell in their sin and in their misery. And unsaved friend, this is why you are on dangerous ground. Because if you continue to reject Christ, if you continue to reject His salvation, you are in danger of being given over. Tonight could be your last ever opportunity to be saved. 
And if you say no tonight, then you could be left in your sin to dwell forever. And your opportunity will be gone. And once you're given over, that's it. God will have finished with you. And you will be destined for damnation. And your only hope is, I suppose you could say, to live a cleaner life so that your damnation and eternity might be a little bit less than others, but it is damnation nonetheless. Do you not shudder at that thought of being totally abandoned by God? Why then don't you stop rejecting Christ and run to Him for forgiveness tonight before it's too late and before you are left to dwell in your sin and misery forever? Rejecting Christ results in a reprobate mind, but I want you to see secondly that it results in eternal death because we now deal with Christ's answer to the second question that He was asked. Christ said in verse 21 of the chapter, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go ye cannot come. And then in verse 22, this prompts the religious leaders to ask the question, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whither I go ye cannot come. Now when we look into the significance of what this question means, and what the religious leaders mean when they ask this question, it is quite shocking. And let me explain why, because Christ was referencing his impending death on the cross at Calvary. And when Christ references his death, these religious leaders assume that when Christ dies, he will be in hell. Now imagine that. The Savior, the sinless one, the one who did nobody any harm, the one who never told a lie, the one who never hurt anyone, the one who never stole, the one who was perfectly sinless and did nothing but good. And they believe that when he dies, he will go to hell. In their minds, they thought that the eternal Son of God would be lost forever. And this displays how much they hated him, but it also displays how highly they thought of themselves. Because they assumed, that, they assumed that because they were religious men, they would be in heaven. They said in verse 22, Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. These men were so certain of heaven. And the fact that Christ says he is going to a place that they cannot go, this prompts them to believe that he is talking about hell. These men were full of themselves. They thought they were supremely holy. They thought they were better than everyone around them. Now, according to Jewish tradition, and this is strictly according to Jewish tradition, the lowest part of Hades was reserved for those who killed themselves. Now, commentators have suggested that the fact uh, these men even suggested that Christ would kill himself rather than just merely suggesting that he was going to hell upon his death, displayed that they harbored this hope in their hearts. Now you think about that. They harbored hope in their hearts that when Christ referenced his death, that it would be suicide. They wanted him to destroy himself, which would mean in their eyes that he would go to the very lowest part of hell. Now, is that not astounding? Is that not astounding evil? 
and hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not only did they want the Lord Jesus Christ in hell, but they wanted him in the lowest hell. And you can only really pause and wonder at the wickedness of these men. But the Savior gives them a response in verses 23 and 24. He says to them, and he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. The Lord moves to put these men in their place, if you want to use that phrase. These men thought that they were bound for heaven. And what does Christ say? Christ says to them in verse 23, ye are from beneath. So not only is he telling them that they are creatures of dust, that they are creatures of the earth, but he is implying that they and their darkened mindset comes from hell itself. He is saying to them, you are not children of light, you are children of the devil. In John 8 and 44, he tells them that they were of their father, the devil. They are of this world. They were born as sinners. They were born corrupt and they remain as corrupt worldly men. They are not the sheep of Christ. And further than this, Christ corrects them in another regard because they think, as we've said, that the Savior is a creature bound for hell. But he reminds them that he is not of this world. He is not like other men. He is not like them. He was from heaven. He was born of a virgin. He was born without sin. He did not merely come into existence at a point of time or even at a point in eternity. He is the God-man. He is God in the flesh. He has existed from eternity and He will exist to eternity. He is from above. He is a divine person. And in light of the fact that these men were sinful, carnal, corrupt creatures of dust, he reminds them in verse 24, For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now there are two ways of dying that we read of in the Bible. One is as a saved person. Revelation 14 and 13 calls this dying in the Lord. It says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. And what a blessed view this is of death, the death of the saint. However, the death that Christ speaks of here is in total contrast because to die in your sins means to die with the burden of your sin upon your shoulders. And as a result, it means to pay the penalty for your sins. Romans 6 and 23 says that the wages of sin is death. Now, physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. It is something that every single person in this service tonight is subject to, even the child of God. But dying in your sin is a reference to spiritual death. And what is spiritual death? Spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God Himself. To die in your sin is to have your soul separated from God for eternity in hell. And this is what Christ was saying. If you continue to reject me, if you continue to reject who I am, then you will die in your sins. You will go to hell forever. 
And one thing I must emphasize is this. Dying in sins is not something that was exclusive to these religious leaders. We have a lot in common with them by nature. Perhaps you wouldn't say the vile things to Christ that they would say. Perhaps you wouldn't even use the Lord's name in vain or say blasphemous things about Christ even though you're not saved. But friend, by nature, you are sinful. You are every bit as sinful as they. You are wicked, you are as dark, and you are as corrupt as these religious leaders were. You are of this world. You were born into this world as a sinner, and in your unsaved state, you are of your father the devil. Because you do the works of your father. And you are a Christ rejecter. And that sounds strong. And they are strong words indeed, but that is the truth. You are a Christ rejecter. You don't live for God. You don't live for God's glory. You don't live to obey the commandments of God. And if you don't live for God, then you live for the devil and you live for self. And you're a rejecter of Christ. And what does Christ say? If you continue to reject me, you will die in your sins. You will be eternally separated from God in hell. The place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, you will die a spiritual death. This is why we preach the message of salvation through Christ. This is why we preach it every week. This is why we preach it to the unsaved at every opportunity that we get. Because we don't want people to die in their sins. We want people to get saved. And we pray tonight, if you're not saved, that you would get saved. And there is one more fruit of Christ's rejection that I want to consider. And this leads me to my third and final point, which is that it results in God's judgment. In John 8 and 25, we see the final question that these religious leaders asked of Christ. It says, Then said they unto him, Who art thou? Now again, this is not an inquisitive question. This is a scornful question. They are really saying to the Savior, who do you think you are telling us about sin? And who do you think you are telling us that we will die in our sins? Who are you to judge us? But Christ says to them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, the Lord is saying to them, I've said who I am. I've told you several times. I've told you again, and you won't believe me. But after this, he goes on to say in verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They have scornfully asked, Who are you to judge us and condemn us? But the Savior reveals to them in those words, I have many things to say and to judge of you. He reveals to them, I can see your sin. I can see your darkness. My Father in heaven can see your darkness, but he emphasizes this also, I haven't come to judge you. I have come to do the will of my Father. I have come to complete the mission that he has given me to complete, and I come to speak the words that he has told me to speak. The Savior said in John 3 and 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that was Christ's primary mission. It was to come and to purchase redemption for sinners. 
And these men questioned his ability and his authority to judge them. But he reminded them, that is not for this time. But he says something else. It's for a future time. I have many things to say and to judge of you. He was saying, I can see your sins and I have much to say. And I will judge you one day for them. But not at this present time. I am come that the world through me might be saved. However, Christ was implying that judgment for sin was one day coming. This was not his present business. This would come in the future. Christ did speak of judgment during his earthly ministry. He says in Matthew 12 and 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give an account thereof on the day of judgment. So he's saying to them, judgment will come. It will come in the future. Brace yourself. And the inevitability of God's judgment is something that we should all be attentive to. God's judgment is coming. It's not something we can escape. We can escape justice in this life. We can hire the best solicitors to get us off with crimes in this life. We turn on the news and we see what happens in England or in America or wherever. And we see people getting off with heinous crimes. And you say, how did they get away with it? Why are they not in jail for life? But friends, Christ will one day come. And he will execute judgment. And he will execute justice. And will he have much to say concerning you on that day? He can see your sin. And he will judge you for your sin. Yet the good news tonight is that Christ came with the express purpose of dying for sinners on the cross so that they could escape the judgment and the wrath of God. He told these leaders that this was his mission. And he has accomplished this mission in his death and in his resurrection. And therefore there is a way of escape from judgment tonight. It's through faith in Christ. And dear friend, if you come by faith tonight, you can have your sins forgiven. You can be saved. And then you don't need to worry about becoming reprobate and being abandoned by God forever. You don't need to worry about dying in your sins and having your soul separated from God in hell forever. You don't, you don't need to worry about His judgment wrath because you will die in the Lord and you will be in heaven for all eternity. But you must come by faith. You must turn away from your sin and you must trust Christ. I pray that you will trust Christ and that you will be saved and that God will get the glory. Amen.